Welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. My name is Andrew. And I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. We're going to dive into Daniel chapter 5 today. So Bob, would you please say a word of prayer for us? Blessed Father, we thank you for this wonderful book of prophecy from which we can learn uh, more about you and more of what your plan is for us in this world. And we pray now that your spirit will be with us, be with us as we uh, look into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the handwriting is on the wall. And the time of Babylon is about to come to the end. So I'm going to jump into chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and the silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Wow, so we're at a point here now in history where obviously Nebuchadnezzar has passed away, and Belshazzar, Belshazzar, however you would like to say it, is now sitting on, on, on the throne of Babylon. But there's a couple of things that we need to, to know here. He's not, he's not the king alone he's actually a co-regent with his father Nebuchadnezzar so this is so this Belshazzar who don't get him mixed up with Belteshazzar his name is very similar to Daniel's Hebrew name this Belshazzar is is, is apparently Nebuchadnezzar's grandson right so Daniel yeah Daniel had a, a name a Babylonian name given to him but that's not what yeah. we're talking about it's, here. it's it's very similar but it's right. yeah but, okay but, but this is this is this is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson Bel- Belshazzar, who is now, who's now um, uh, the, the king in Babylon. His his father at this point in history, historian Celsus, was not in Babylon at the time of the, of its fall. He was in a, another city in Arabia. Yeah, and uh, one of the curious things here for me is is that is the placement of this chapter where it's at because chapter seven and eight actually occur. Uh, in timeline before this, correct? Yeah. And so, uh, and there's a little bit of information that we can talk about later that comes up in chapter eight that gives us some insight into the, uh, what's going on here. But um, yeah, I, I don't always know why scripture is in the order it is here, but there's, there's a reason for it being here. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, in, in, in a sense, the way Daniel has laid out the book, this, right. he, he kind of goes through the first six chapters, our historical narrative, and then he talks about his own experience with, with this series of prophecies that he gets, which began pre- prior to this event. These verses that Andrew's read, uh, these gold and silver vessels that all goes back to Hezekiah, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it, that, and all, I think even before we look at that specifically, we can see that a big turnaround is taking place because remember where we left off in chapter right. four, right? Right. Nebuchadnezzar had become a believer in the God of heaven. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's gone through this whole process through those first four chapters of conversion. And as, and, and is now uh, a you know, full on believer in Jehovah God that didn't translate apparently down to his, his grandson, at least here in this, in this case, because he's doing some things that are, are, are we, we, we'd consider a little bit, maybe sacrilegious. I uh, guess he didn't send the boys to Academy or yeah. whatever. <laughs> so I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought there, Jeff. No, I, I was, uh, you know, as I'm looking at these vessels, remember Hezekiah is the one that invited Babylon to come and see, you know, his, uh, his great uh, wealth and the, the wealth he showed him were the, a lot of the gold and silver in the sanctuary. And it came back years later 
when they went to Jerusalem, they were looking for just that. Right. So these are those very articles. The very articles, which is interesting because um, you remember that story and we don't, we're not going into it because that's not what we're studying. But the story of Hezekiah was that he was healed and that the sundial was turned back. Right. And so the Babylonians had come because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because who do you think they worshipped? They worshipped the sun, and yet the God of Israel somehow had the power to turn the sun back. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Hezekiah had the opportunity to to give his God glory, and right. instead he gives takes the glory for himself. And right. this is everything we're seeing now is part and parcel to that story. Yeah, this plays into it. So when they come and besiege Jerusalem and they take all of the, the precious items from the sanctuary, which is not just one or two plates or cups that they have laying around, but this is many, many articles, uh, you know, precious gold and silver and all these beautiful items that have been crafted for the sanctuary service. They take all these things, which it's probably like somewhere in the thousands, right? Yeah. In fact, Ezra chapter one tells us exactly how many, 5,400. And so think about this party now. This wasn't just the king <laughs> taking one gold goblet. <laughs> well, think about the circumstances too here because it, it, they're not unaware. Um, Bel, Belshazzar is not unaware what's happening in, in the kingdom, how, how they're, they're in conflict now with a, a new rising power, the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus the Great has been on the march. And yet he's throwing a party. It tells us something. Um, what it tells us is that he has a lot of confidence in, in these great walls of Babylon. A lot of arrogance, uh, like his, know, his grandfather did. It, it, it kind of, it kind of, the fact that he's throwing a party in, in, in this kind of uh, uh, an environment tells us like, yeah, kind of similar to, to, to Nebuchadnezzar's statement. Is this not the great Babylon that I have built? And, and that's what Babylon was known for was it was its great walls that, that were theoretically impenetrable. Yeah, and I, I don't understand it. I mean, the, 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 I, the whole theme of having a party at this point in time because um, of the way that history tells us that Babylon fell. Babylon fell by the drying up of the river Euphrates. That means this whole engineering feat took place prior to this night as we're going to see the story unfold. Right. So they weren't just hearing about Cyrus and his adventures far away they had spies and they had people that had to know their intentions. You don't just dig a big hole, switch a lever right. and dig a big <laughs> hole and the water flows a different direction. Yeah. It was I mean, a, this was an engineering feat. They're, they're doing a construction project right. here in town and they had, you know, the, they had the earth movers to, and the bulldozers out there. And, and you get really <laughs> frustrated when you have to go around because of construction. And but in spite of that, here's this guy saying, Hey, let's have a party. Right. <laughs> you know, let's have a party. Despite we know they're out there. Doing whatever they're doing. Well, they had, they, you know, they, it wasn't that they had, had uh, didn't anticipate that, you know, that the, the river could be a, a, a weak point in their defenses. There were great walls or uh, gates that that uh, came down that to prevent people to come through the river. And then the, the city was divided also um, by the river, and there were walls along the river and gates there too. The thing is, <laughs> as the Bible predicted, the gates were left open that night. Right. Right. So anyway, yeah, I, yeah. I just say that because it, it, it speaks to even more to his arrogance right. of knowing that, you know, the, the, the armies were out there. So this goes back to, you know, to the, to the, I guess the original point that something has happened, something hasn't yeah. translated here. Right. Um, 
Belshazzar's arrogance and 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 uh, confidence in his own um, defenses seem to uh, seem to indicate uh, an attitude that is more reflective of Nebuchadnezzar before he was uh, converted than than uh, uh, a man who uh, wasn't was who had come to know God. Right. Yeah. You kind of see that he's passed down some of the unsavory characteristics and you almost think that his, his son, uh, was it Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. He, he got to know his father before he had his conversion and he became like, yeah. That, and we, we don't know much about him, you know, like we don't, the Bible doesn't mention him. It's just, you know, but, but it, the interesting thing is here that is, is, is the issue of the queen that comes later on that we'll talk about. But the, but before we get that, there's another important thing here that we want to make note of it just in these, in these, these uh, first four verses. And that is the, the importance that the element of wine plays right. here. It's highly symbolic. Yeah. And, and the reason I say that is because in Revelation, um, the book of Revelation talks about, you know, Babylon's wine. And here, here we have, here we have a, a kind of a little bit of a, uh, or the beginning of our understanding of what that really, really means. Babylon, they took Babylon's wine and put it into the vessels of Jehovah God. And, and when we think of that in terms of what those things symbolize, um, it's, 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 a, it's a, a startling lesson because everything that, that um, was associated with the sanctuary, all the vessels, everything, all, it all was part and parcel of the, of the good news of Jesus Christ. It all had to deal with that. Right. And the symbol of, of wine, uh, in particular in the New Testament, is this... It, it, Jesus tells us what, what that, what, how we should think of that, right? He says, you know, take this wine and drink because it is, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me as part of our communion um, uh, service. So to take, to take things so important as this and pollute it now with, with something foreign becomes almost anathema, and that's what's happening here. Yeah, and he knew where they were from. I mean, he deliberately asked right, for right. The, the vessels from the temple. Yes, because this remember, is, this was Babylon's, this was their modus operandi. They'd go and ravage cities of different, you know, nations, and they'd take the best of what they had. But he asked at this particular time for the vessels from the temple, right? And so he's saying something about his gods, because then he turns around and he says, let's use them to honor our gods. Yeah, and specifically, this is another interesting point here. He says, specifically, they drank wine, and praise the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Now, when you when you when you think about that, mm-hmm. that should start. That should sound a little bit familiar to yeah, us. Yeah, right? we we took a look at that in chapter two. Those exact many, well, most of those exact same materials show up as symbols of a kingdom that will eventually come crashing down. Right. Not only in chapter two, but in second, that's Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. But in his, in his second dream, we also have the, the tree, the symbol of wood. Right. So, so in Nebuchadnezzar's uh-huh. two dreams, all these components are represented. And so, so this is essentially a reversal of, of what Nebuchadnezzar had experienced. And so we're, we're going back to the old ways. We're worshiping, you know, the gods of, of, of these things, the things that Nebuchadnezzar had, had actually turned from to become a, a worshiper in, in Jehovah God. Okay, well, let's continue, Andrew, if you'd read some more for us. All right, verse 5. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. 
The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a gold chain around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Yeah, it, so- it sounds a lot like um, Nebuchadnezzar's, the direction he would go whenever he was confronted with something he didn't understand. He calls all these soothsayers and the, the, the uh, wise guys of his time, and they don't have a solution. This is the third or fourth time we've heard this happen in the book of Daniel so right. far. And they still ha- never have come through. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Somehow they survived it too. <laughs> well, they're, 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 they're pretty much... Uh, it's probably a whole different crew because the timing here would be Daniel would actually be about maybe in his mid eighties at yeah. this point. Cause this is end of the 70 years of, of, of uh, predicted mm-hmm. by Jeremiah and Daniel being a, probably in his, a teenager when he got there, he's got, he's got to be like in his mid eighties at this time. So he's an old man. Obviously he's gone, kind of gone into re- retirement as we look at the story, but you know, you know what's, I wonder what it means to have your, ho- your hips loosened. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Have your hips loosened and and uh, your, the, the his knees knocking. The, the knees knocking. Obviously, it was, he was extremely fearful at this point. Yeah, I would say, yeah. I, because I think that because the description is so wild, I think this guy knew exactly what he was doing. He was mocking God. Absolutely, you know? and and he knew he was mocking God. Mm-hmm. And then God shows up here, and he he realizes what he has just done. And that's absolutely the case because that's that's exactly what Daniel says later yeah. on. Now, it's interesting that chapter 8, which is the third year of Belshazzar, and Daniel says at the end of it, now Daniel's in Shushan, so he's somewhere else there, but he says at the end of that chapter, he says, after he has his vision, he says, after that, I went about the king's business. So he's still in working for the king, Mm -hmm. and it's the king is Belshazzar. He's just not in the position he once was before. He's off in another city, and he's uh, at that point, and he's you know, working on the king's behalf. This is in chapter eight. This is in chapter eight, which is the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. We don't know what year this is necessarily because it doesn't say it, but it's after that. And maybe Daniel's come back from Shushan, but he, we don't, and we don't know if he was still in the employee of the king, but the king doesn't know who he is. That's what's interesting. Because his his grandfather would have called for Daniel first. So he's, He's, he'll eventually get acquainted with Daniel and it'll be interesting because I know it makes me wonder if Nebuchadnezzar had told his sons all about the experiences that he had with Daniel and cause I can imagine that Belshazzar was maybe probably too young to realize everything that was kind of going on with I, I, you the know dream what, and the fiery furnace. When you read chapter four, like we just did and you see the astonishing uh, turnaround, the, the, the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. That guy told everybody he could find his children, sure. his family, well, he his, you know, he wrote a letter <laughs> to the, to the whole, uh, universe or <laughs> at least the whole world Yeah, and, all and, and, heard it. and told his story. And so, uh, I think that, uh, I like to think that his son was converted that Nabonidus had, you know, had a conversion and he was off somewhere else because he didn't, he didn't want to be a Babylonian, so to speak. Hmm. Speculation. That's speculation. Anyway, go ahead and keep reading because the queen does come into play here. Well, before, before you do that, just another interesting just point here in verse 5. It says that this plaster on the wall appears opposite the lampstand. Yeah. 
Now, I don't know if this is the lampstand that the menorah that the Jews had. I don't know if that was it or not, but, mm-hmm. but it's interesting that it's, it's made that it's opposite a lampstand because opposite a lampstand in the opposite, the lampstand in, in God's sanctuary in his temple was, it was the place mm-hmm. where you would find the wine with the place next to the table of showbread. So it's just kind of Daniel being such a symbolic book. You can, you, you can always find these little points there. All right. So verse 10, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords came to the banquet hall, the queen spoke saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give you the interpretation. Wow, what, a, what an introduction to, to Daniel. She had an awful lot of knowledge about him, didn't she? Well, yeah, and, and two things that, that kind of stand out for us here, right, is number one, she's calling Daniel by his Hebrew name. Right. Now, remember that Nebuchadnezzar did that after he had become a convert to, to, God, to Daniel's God. The second thing is that she says, she mentions that the spirit of the holy God is in him. So I don't know, but I, 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 to me, I get the impression that this the queen here, who's, who's probably actually the queen mother, not, not, not one of uh, Belshazzar's wives, but the queen mother may actually be a believer in Jehovah as well. Yeah, she, she certainly wouldn't call him holy, the holy God, yeah. unless she had that belief. And she's calling Daniel Daniel. Mm-hmm. Right. She comes with a full knowledge of who he is. Absolutely. And who Daniel serves. So she must have been greatly influenced by Nebuchadnezzar then. It would seem so, yeah, in this setting. And if, if, you think about, if you think about this, if it is the queen mother, if it, this is essentially Belshazzar's mom, right, and she's a believer, and she, she gets wind or gets, hears what's going on in this party that's going on where, where he's made this terrible error in, in, in doing the things that he's done with the things of God, she would have great interest in going in there and trying to, to, to influence her son here at this point. Well, I think another reason to believe that um, the, the truth of it is it that she could have been a believer is she doesn't find herself in the banquet hall no. to begin with. She's in another place. And it's just through palace intrigue, you know, the, the uh, whisper down the hall, so to speak, that she finds out what's going on. And so and it's just, just another added insight to helping us understand that, um, you know, she's probably not part of the party, so to speak. She's not part of the party? To begin with. Yeah, she's not there. She's not there to, and if it's the queen, she would have been, because all the lords and nobles were there, she would have been, you know, invited to be there. But she, for some reason, she wasn't. So jumping in at verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. I, I suppose we should mention that because it's come up, it comes up a couple of times here that when it seems to indicate that, uh, you know, it calls 
Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's father. But that's just, it's just a way that the ancients would refer to their, you know, relatives going back. Any like Isaac and Jacob and Abraham are all the fathers of Israel. So so it's it's an idiom of of speech there. It doesn't mean he was his biological father. Okay, so all the wise men, they can't really tell what it means. So does that mean it was written in Hebrew or... I guess we don't know what, what what it was written in it, but they were unable to interpret the meaning of it. That's for sure. Um, you know, the wise men were un, un, unable to interpret the meaning of what was written on the wall there, and that's why Daniel's called in, and and, and he's offered this lofty position of you know third ruler in the kingdom, which is another indication that that Belshazzar is is not the, the singular ruler here. That there was you know he would have offered him second ruler. Yeah, yeah. he's more like a prince or yeah, he's he's a co-regent. So Daniel comes into the picture and his reaction to all this is, 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 is rather interesting uh, in the next verse or, or so there. He says, if, verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with the grass. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted up, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. What I find fascinating is that Daniel doesn't have any interest in this, this, this being appointed third ruler in Babylon. And Especially not now. And we know why, right? <laughs> because as Jeff has already pointed out, he's already had his visions. Uh, he's interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's vision in, uh, that, he, that he had back in chapter 2. And Daniel has, has had his own vision. He knows exactly right. what's going to happen. He knows that the, the end of Jeremiah's 70 years is Jeremiah's prophecy that Israel would be captive for 70 years. He knows that's come to end. He knows that, that the Bible even gave the name of the person who was going to bring about the end of Babylon. That was Cyrus. So, so it's like, Hey, yeah. thanks, but no, thanks. Yeah. The, the head of gold <laughs> is about the, to come to keep, an end. Keep, keep the gold chain in purple yeah. robe, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he gets it anyway. He does. So, okay. Going on at uh, verse 24, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel upharsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Yeah, this is a little hard to understand that uh, because, yeah, I mean, we can't, it, this verse doesn't tell us the emotion of the moment, but this king has just been told that 
his kingdom has come to an end and he just follows through almost as if he doesn't believe it's going to happen even at that moment. It, I, I, that's, I can't say that that's what it says, but that's how, what I feel as I listen to that. And so he, he closed Daniel and makes him third in the kingdom and uh, gives him his gold chain as if tomorrow will come. And yet the next verse comes. Right. But did you, know, did you notice something interesting here when Daniel was, um, was, was talking to him? He said, in verse 23, notice something interesting there. It says, and you have praised the gods of, look at what, look at what Daniel does here. He inverts the first two metals, silver mm-hmm. and gold and bronze and iron. and wood, Because he knows that the time of gold has what? Come to end, and the time of the ascendancy of the silver kingdom is 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 now there. That's interesting, yeah. isn't that? Because earlier in the chapter he had had written it the other way. Now he goes, okay, the gold. It's this. It's it's time for silver. So my understanding of the the inscription is that all of these phrases, Amini, Tekel, and Eupharsin, are uh, monetary denominations, and that they each represent. Uh, one part of that interpretation. So like when it says it's your, your, your kingdom is divided, it's, it's in the sense of like a quarter, you know, you have a, a, a denomination that is larger, but then it's, it's cut in pieces so that it can be used more easily for, for trade. And that's exactly uh, why Daniel is able to interpret it the way he is, because it's really literally these, uh, these uh, monetary denominations are being, you know, split up and made smaller. I don't know. That's interesting, Andrew. I've never, never, under, never heard that. Yeah, I've, I've, I've often wondered why it asks, or he says, God has numbered your kingdom, because Babylon eventually does get a number, right? At another point in Scripture, and it's and it found it wanting. <laughs> yes. In other words, it's come up short. Right. 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 Like basically saying you're like shortchanged. You're not living up to the potential of of what you heard from your grandfather. Nebuchadnezzar and, and the testimony that he, that he gave, you, you missed out on that. You didn't capitalize on the blessing that, that he found. So let's, let's kind of like, let's, let's, let's talk about then the elements that contribute to, this, to Babylon's fall here, because this is really, this is really what we're looking at here in chapter five, the fall of Babylon, which has significance when we think of, of the book of Revelation, because it talks about the fall of, of Babylon. So what are the elements Number one, it's this issue of, of, of the wine, right? We've, we've looked at that. It caused him to make some bad, bad decisions. Um, number two, it's a direct rejection of the knowledge that had been revealed to him about the truth of who God is. It's not something that's done in ignorance. It's done deliberately. Yeah, verse 22 says you... You, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Yeah, you knew he, these things. Yeah, he, he knew. He rejected it. Right. And, and when we think about the angels cry in Revelation chapter 14, that Babylon has fallen because she made all people drink of, the, of her wine, this, this corrupting influence of the gospel, that it's either, either compelled or coerced as, as, as what's happening at, at the beginning there. This, this, is, this, is, this is the end result of that. The fall of Babylon is, is really got a lot to do with a deliberate rejection of the truth about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how does it all end? 
it all ends. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very pretty for, for Belshazzar. It says in verse 30 and 31, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So that very night, you know, we were talking before about the engineering feat that had to be taking place all around in order to divert the river and stuff. And that very night, mm-hmm. the river is stopped, the gates are left open, and the king is killed. He probably thought to himself, oh, they've been working out there for how many days? Uh, there, there's no way. You know, I'm safe here in my kingdom, in, my, in these walls. Uh, it's going to take him a while yet. You know, I, think, I don't know if Daniel did this, but, you know, he, he probably left that hall with this, his purple robe and his gold chain and got his home as quick as he could. <laughs> and so I'm getting this stuff off. Because <laughs> I'm sure he had some insight as to the urgency of the situation as well. You know, because we see that his legacy as a man of God in, in, uh, carries over into the next kingdom as we re- move forward in scripture. Mm-hmm. And so even though he was the, you know, the, the third in the kingdom, he, uh, his life wasn't taken. No, if it was preserved and he actually didn't. And, and so was his influence. Yeah. That's, that's, what's amazing is like, uh, he doesn't just, he doesn't, he's just not an, even though what we'll be looking at next is, is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel's still an influential character there. Yeah, so next time we'll be digging into chapter six and taking a look at those lions, lions, everywhere lions. The famous story, a lot of people are going to relate to it. So it's always fun to go back and hear the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Yeah. All right, until next time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. God bless. Take care. <laughs>